0: Welcome to the fourth and final interview in the Europe Direct Blanchard Sound series Celebrating Women Entrepreneurs. In this final interview, I spoke to Dr. Lisa O'Donoghue. Dr. O'Donoghue is the founder and CEO of Vote Ethnic, a company specialising in innovative business models and technologies for the circular economy world. In this interview, she describes her early interest in science and the system she developed for the automated and safe recycling of televisions. Dr Lisa O'Donoghue, you're very welcome, and thank you for speaking to Europe Direct Blanchardstown today.
1: Great, thank you very much for the invite, delighted to participate.
0: And yeah, I'm just going to start straight off by asking you, maybe if you could tell me a little bit about your own background in science. And is this an interest you've had from an early age?
1: It was, and um, I would have, oh, I would have been attracted trachea as a child. Right. and so I grew up watching like the next generation of Star Trek and I was always kind of that way inclined so it was very early on it was easy to kind of pick subjects for like the research and then into uni I went with material science and technology so in that kind of give you a mix It was interesting rather than being pure engineering or science it's kind of a blend where you're mm-hmm. looking at um, a mix of kind of chemistry materials physics and you're you kind of looking at developing new materials and how they're used and how to improve them. So yeah. that was my start.
0: And you, and you mentioned that you're leaving, sir. Did you do all science subjects, or
1: I did. Yeah. Apart from biology, I never was inclined towards anything kind of really bio. But um, yeah, I would have had uh, chemistry, physics, and um, all those ones. Yeah, maths. And.
0: Okay. Yeah. So obviously it was something you were you, you gravitated towards very early. And, and not only that, you experienced very early success, didn't you, in in business? You won a number of prizes. There's so many, I don't think I could even list them all here. There was certainly the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2010, and later on, the Outstanding Young Person of the Year Award in Science and Technology 2011. What what was the key to that early success?
1: It's a really good question, because I had to think about it. Um, And What kind of came for me when I sat down to look at that was, it was probably giving things a go. You know, I was up for I was up for it. Like I was running a research project, and then I saw a course on the young entrepreneur that they would train us up in business. And I thought, yeah, let's let's put the project in for that. And and I did it. Um, like I did it in parallel with the project being ongoing. And and it it was kind of just from getting involved and participating and thinking I can give it a go. Um, and so like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, I, you know, the ability to kind of just keep learning with something is, I think, the key
0: to it. Yeah, and and I mean, I mean, you won quite a lot. I mean, it it wasn't like it was all within the space of a couple of years. You must have been very proud. And at that point, did you think this is something I I really want to do? Something I can make a living, I can make a life from?
1: Yeah, like it's a bit of a whirlwind because you're kind of moving in all directions really quickly. So I was in like I had I had a a position in university and as a research fellow and I was running projects. And then I had the spin out company as well it was like everything was just at at full tilt in all directions. And there was, I think, like, for what was striking for me was that if you tried to do something that was good and adding value, there was loads of people willing to support you. And it was that kind of focus, like, with each of the research projects, but what we were trying to do in the company, they were all aligned with, you know, what were directions and policy, what were people trying to achieve in technology and grow businesses and export and the green agenda, which wasn't yeah. there at the time Like we yes, were yeah. in, when we say like it wasn't sexy at the time, like it, was, it wasn't it was really so much on the agenda if we go back 10 years. um, And we were kind of doing our big thing and, and then have kind of just lined up with it now as everything has kind of switched over to sustainability, circular economy and all that.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm really glad you, you just mentioned that and you spoke about the green agenda. And that's something we've actually covered here at Europe Direct Blanchardstown in some detail. We did a series last year on it. And um, that's why your business kind of jumped out at me as being in particular interest, because if, I, if I've got this right, you've developed a process to automate the removal of hazardous materials from TVs during recycling. Because so you tell me a little bit about where your interest in that particular area you came from. And, and how did you actually develop that process? Could you explain what it is exactly? In, in layman terms, obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it actually all started back um, in university, where I was involved in some research projects. And I wrote an application to the Environmental Protection Agency to, um, to actually fund a piece of research for us to look at the problem of waste LCDs they've got mercury in it which is quite toxic and liquid crystals and how these have to be taken out and currently you know it's been done manually. And um, if not exported because it, it's such a slow labor intensive process, so our goal was we were going to look at a piece of research to do with it, so the EPA funded us um, in UL and then we actually ran it for I think it was about two, two and a half years we ran the research project. And what we did is we analyzed every type of TV you could have, and we were looking for different ways you can actually access the components. So rather than doing a full disassembly, that like you see a TV, if you've ever taken one apart, they've got like 150 yeah. screws and glue and sticky tape and different kind mm-hmm. of screw heads. It's, it, it's slow, it's really slow and time consuming. And then you've kind of got risks if you're doing a manual process of cutting yourself off the glass and inhalation if you break the, the mercury tubes of kind of mm-hmm. mercury vapor and stuff like this. So we wanted to automate it, automated. so we kind of found a sequence of, um, of uh, uh, steps that you could do that you could actually get in through the front of the panel, remove that, it worked on all the different shapes and sizes, makes some models, you could get directly to the CCFL tubes and get them out, and then you could basically like very quickly just pull these out of it, and then let the remainder of the LCD go on and be shred, because then it's just like a toaster, it's got nothing toxic okay. in it. So all the um, elements, then the components we've taken out that have the hazardous substances are contained inside in the machine. Um, and then, so we went through like four technology development rounds of this to, to get a fine tuned because every LCD basically is different. Yeah. So everything from lifting them and holding them and securing them and getting the locations right, all took a lot of, of work in the variation of the actual units but um with our latest one now we um have it's fully robotic system so there's actually a robot arm comes in, lifts it up brings the lcd through the different stations to be it, and then shoots it out the other end wow. um so yeah it's been it's been a journey with technology but it's it's um it's, it's kind of beautiful to watch it it's very yeah. kind of high throughput process the robots kind of dancing around bringing the lcd yeah. through the steps it's
0: it's, it's nice to see it. it. It sounds absolutely incredible. I mean, you, you wouldn't think something like recycling a television would, would be so... You even <laughs> said it's quite beautiful to look at. And I can imagine, yeah. And and yeah. And, that it's, and it's fully automated. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And one word that came up when we kind of had some contact before this, and, and something that we've discussed a lot here in previous interviews, was this idea of the circular economy. Um, and am I right in saying that you're company uh, and and get you to pronounce it properly for me now vote ethnic is that right yeah Yeah. okay and you aim to to facilitate the circular economy is that right
1: yeah massively so so when when you deeply the lcds you actually then allow the remainder of the material to be recycled so you can access pcb boards precious metal content plastic and the, the kind of metal that's in the frames so um typically aluminium and steel we so actually now free up all these components that can be recycled so you can get your metal quantities back but we also are active in downstream processes so there's some critical raw materials that are on the european list of materials we use in our everyday products that are like 99 sourced outside of europe typically china and that how can we have our own supply of them so one of the big things for us was actually looking at indium which is mm-hmm. like a, a, a material that's used in the inner coating of the glass panels and it's used in a lot of touchscreen devices and next generation displays. Mm-hmm. So it's constantly in demand and it's in there in small amounts. So but equally, you, you only need it in small amounts as well going forward. Um, so we've been looking at processes to capture that and automate it. Um, and again, looking for closed loop recycling as for more value added downstep. But um, yeah, we'd be really passionate. There's two ends with circular economy. There's the technology which you're hearing there, which are automated ways. It's a lot of circular economy. The problem is you can get at the materials, but if you don't get at them at a high throughput enough process, it's not economical. So the trick is, can you get the process to be economical? And that's where the automation comes in, and that really builds the technology basis for the circular economy. But it's also then like looking at the business model side of it, which is. You know where's your market and you've got to transport your your materials through different countries and what makes sense sustainably but equally it nearly always would be economically as well um like if it's bad sustainably you can have that that economic side where it, it transport costs equally will be high if you're you're you know driving up co2 emissions at the same time yeah well. <laughs> it's
0: a real uh, it happens yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I know that until recently, you were a lecturer and senior research fellow at the University of Limerick in in the field of metallurgy, as you told me, and material science. First of all, can you give me an idea roughly what percentage of STEM field students are female? And how do you think we can encourage more young women to consider studying and working in STEM fields? And again, this is something in libraries we've, we've done a lot of work on trying to encourage more young women to consider STEM subjects.
1: Yeah it's a really kind of it's a really good question from, from that perspective like I predominantly I, w- I would lecture in a lot of the material subjects and I also have like a really interesting antidote or anecdote which mm-hmm. was when I started um the course was called materials science and technology and it was nearly all an all-male class and I was the only girl in it and wow. then more recently when I was working they had actually changed the name of the course over to something like biomaterials and advanced materials and it, it actually nearly flipped the numbers overnight hmm. um, to more more female. So I do think a lot of it is perception-based of where, um, like when you're looking at careers, and especially the younger, you get them as well. Like you're talking, influencing them in primary school and then secondary school, because you're kind of ruled out. If you haven't selected the right subjects by secondary school, you're not gonna line up for a science or engineering. So it's, it's you're almost really trying to work the, the primary, um, the schools and get more exposure. like. Even with me, it was, I was watching Star Trek. So I was getting lots of that kind of, i was seeing them in different roles. i was seeing them in engineering and captains and you know, it kind of just broadened what I was used to seeing. And if you don't have an outlet that's doing that here, yeah, um, you might kind of open up or consider. But uh, like we used to be involved as well in something things going around to the primary schools and telling them about the research projects and the TV one works well because we all know what a TV looks like and it kind of gives a point of interaction that's relevant. Yeah. Um, so I do think that would be really important going, going forward Yeah, more interaction and at the, the earlier
0: stage. Yeah, as I said, it's, it's something we, we've we've looked at ourselves. And we have a fantastic new makerspace as well in Blanchard Sound Library with all kinds of laser cutters and 3D printers and all, all mm-hmm. kinds of other things. And we're encouraging young people and people of all ages, in fact, in the area to, to come in and use it. But hopefully if we can encourage more young people and especially young women, to, to, as you say, maybe pick the science subjects in secondary school and and consider careers. And and as you said as well, seeing women represented, whether it be like a TV show, as you said, Star Trek being represented in these scientific roles. is very important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, a massive impact. And especially when you're seeing it on TV, I think everyone has um, those moments where you're you're kind of going, what you see in TV is what you expect in the world. Um, And it does kind of influence you early on. And ads as well, like when you're exposed to a lot of marketing, like what messages are you getting in the marketing? Um, I think they can be really
0: influential. Absolutely. And I mean, and we've already touched on this. Science is, as as you said, is often considered a male dominated field. You were the only woman in your your class uh, for a while. Um, And just what was your experience uh, studying and then finding a career in the scientific field? And did you face any particular challenges and did you face any sexism along the way?
1: What I found is I left an all-girls school and I went into an all-by class in hey. uni and that nearly killed me, like just trying to get the it was like going from a photo into the negative. You were just really changing um so much at once and you're so young. But then you find your feet and you make friends and you kind of bed in and then but then it goes away, you don't really see it, and you get so used to going into meetings where it might be all male or a lot of suits con- continuously, hmm. you actually stop seeing it after a while. Um, it would just become kind of normal. But I did have the reverse again of it. I, I took a stint with, um, it's the EIT, the European Institute of Technology. They were mm-hmm. starting up an organization called Cake in raw materials. So I actually went out for six months to help them um, based in their, it was their mining and heavy metal um, kind of sector in Northern Sweden. And when I joined the team there, it was actually all female. Okay. So there was a the complete reverse you have female business developer CEOs. i think there might have been one male came in just towards the end as i was leaving but um it was really surprising it was just so different and you're talking serious like you're talking mining and heavy yeah. allergy yeah. so it, that, it, that was just really interesting to see the different dynamics in different phases and again how it can broaden and how even culturally actually how things are just done differently and how mm. meetings are held or you know consensus is gained and things like that but um yeah so there's a lot of there's such a variety there in terms of experience but my own one I think like I would generally have a belief that um you know you can either make something positive or negative so you can kind of feel yeah okay I might be the only girl but or female but you would be equally uh you can have it as an opportunity like you tend to get remembered more if you're in with everybody who looks very similar you're going to stand out um so that can be helpful Um, But again, it depends on your own take in it, whether you kind of perceive it as as positive or negative. So I would kind of be very much that we all create our own destiny through the way we decide to view things or our our mental take on something, I think,
0: is, is really the key to it. That's interesting because you've mirrored what one of our previous speakers in this series, Angelica Heron, spoke about. And she she said very much the same thing. She saw these challenges as an opportunity and about all how you see these things. I think she kind of was saying, like, there's no problems, only solutions. She she had a great attitude. And I'm I'm seeing exactly the same thing in in what you're saying there, which is a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, I want to wait to watch her one day. Um, I want to uh, just talk to you about, last year you were nominated for uh, the EU Prize for Women Innovators. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, um, in the company we're running um, an EIC project under the Accelerator Programme. It's actually a project officer had um, gotten in touch to say there there was this EIC Prize and to consider going for it. Um, It was a really positive experience. Um, one of, strangely, I got one of the best benefits was I sat down to actually reflect on what had we done in the company and how had I kind of grown as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was a really lovely thing to actually take the time out to, to do that and kind of realizing, yeah, we did that and that and maybe that didn't work, but we gave it a go and then we reframed it. And so I found, I actually found it very therapeutic kind of to have been involved in the overall process. One of the things, though, that did catch us is normally it's an event and it pulls all the kind of female um, nominees together and you get a chance to meet them. But we were still in the pandemic phase, so we didn't.
0: Yeah. We missed yeah.
1: our cocktail reception and our, our chance to network and actually yeah. meet yeah. each other. So I and I did hear from others that that was one of a major benefit of actually just getting to connect. But you never know. They have said that next time around there'll be an opportunity to, to actually meet. So it would be nice yeah
0: yeah no it's and you're reminding me of our own uh i mean obviously we haven't run it during the pandemic we have a young entrepreneurs club that we, we run and we always make sure we have 20 in it at a time 10 uh young women 10 young men and and they they come up with great ideas and it's, it's they're going to be the, the the ceos of the future i'd say it's, it's great to see and, and just sticking with the eu team you received some funding from the european innovation uh, Council and how did you go about applying for this and how beneficial was it in developing your business?
1: Oh they, I can't praise the EIC um, and it's the Accelerator Programme um, enough really it's a fantastic programme and opportunity and it, it's available for um, any company to actually apply for uh, so you check out the funding on the EIC Council but you make an application um you do go through, I think it's changed a little bit now. There's a couple of more rounds. You go through um, an interview stage and there's a vetting of the proposal. So look for alignment in terms of what you're trying to do. And The goal of it really is to foster SMEs and innovation and disruptive technologies in Europe and to get mm-hmm. them out so that they have impact. And it, it's really nice because then, especially they had one that um, for us, uh, you know, they had a big focus towards the Green Deal as well. So kind of had mm-hmm. a double whammy of both promoting something that would help in terms of circular economy. Um, but again, yeah, I definitely, I would be very, for us, like the IC project that we ran is called the ALR 4000. So it's also the machine name. And for us, it is launching three demonstration Europe, or, sorry, three demonstration machines um, to actually view the technologies, so one in Ireland, one going into Europe and one going into the US. So yeah, yeah really good
0: program. And it's important to know that these supports are actually out there at, at an EU level and national level as well and local levels that you know, a lot of people aren't aware of them. So any any kind of, you know, business and particularly women, because that's what we're talking about, to, to know that these are out there and go go looking for them. And um, last question uh, I want to ask you, and this is one I've asked all the other interviewees, and it's been really interesting to compare and contrast the different answers. And it's, it's basically, what do you know now? that you wish you'd know when you started your business?
1: At the beginning, you'd love to kind of get yourself right, and sit yourself down and go, don't listen to everyone. And you know, listen to your own instinct and follow it. And sometimes it'll go wrong, but it doesn't matter. It'll work its way out and keep going and not to go on the roller coaster so much, you know, the, it's all brilliant, it's all terrible. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of, you just love to get yourself for a half hour in a room back then and just go to views with, do this, you'll be fine.
0: Well, that's great. Listen, thank you so much. That, that was a really uh, interesting d- discussion. You've given us a lot to, to think about, and I hope, and this is this is the final interview in the series. I hope what you've said and what our other interview, interviewees have said uh, will inspire people and particularly women who are considering you know becoming entrepreneurs to to kind of grasp the nettle and, and go for it because we've heard some great success stories over the last week um, and and i think you're a particularly a uh, great success story and, and have achieved success on a european level and you know and and it's also as you said you mentioned the circular economy the european green deal and it's 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 not only a business but it's a business that's improving the planet so thank you so much for speaking to me
1: thank you so much